Amen, amen. Well, good morning, Marcel. How are we doing? It is good to be here with you guys. Uh, if it's your first time, my name is Timmy, and I'm on staff here at Mercy Hill. I work with Salt Company. That is our college ministry. So we're taking kind of a break from Thursday nights, but we'll kick up back in August. Um, before we open up our text today, I just want to take a minute and pray for our brothers and sisters in Ames at Cornerstone Church. And so many of you heard about the shooting that happened Thursday, and many of you have friends who were there and know people who were there who are affected by this and suffering. And, and honestly, guys, it's moments like this where we just see that the world is not as it should be. And moments like this that just make me long for Jesus to return, as Seth was talking about, and make all things new. And the hope that we have in Christ that there will be no more pain and there will be no more suffering because he will make all things new. And God promises and he cannot lie. And so um, I need to hear truths like Romans 8.28, that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, that this did not surprise God that Jesus is still on the throne and God knows what he's doing. And even the sufferings that we experience in this life as the followers of Jesus, guys, they're not meaningless. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, they are preparing us an eternal weight of glory and that when compared to that, they're actually light and momentary because of the hope that we have in Christ. So would you just pray for me um, for Cornerstone Church, and and honestly, guys, this is also, like, this is really special to us here at Mercy Hill, because in a way, they're, they're, this church is our grandparents. Like, the church that Cornerstone planted called Candeo in Cedar Falls, Iowa, was the church that planted Mercy Hill here in Cincinnati just a year ago. And so these are not only, yes, our, our family and the family of God, but also this is like our, our tribe. And so um, would you all pray with me for them? Father, we thank you that your word says we can cast our anxieties upon you, Lord Jesus, because you care for us. And you've shown us, Lord, that you hate injustice more than we do. And you didn't sit back and just be apathetic, Lord, but you carried out perfect justice on the cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer in eternity for our sin against you. Lord, would our brothers and sisters at Cornerstone feel the God of all comfort draw near? Would many in Ames, Iowa, who don't know you realize that this life is short here on earth? And that their greatest need is Jesus, Lord, and would you draw them to yourself? Would you, as your word says, work all things for your good and for your glory? We trust you, God. We praise you. And for anybody here who is hurting, Lord, I pray that you would draw near to us and bring us comfort and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to 1 John chapter 5. I uh, apologize on the front end. I, I didn't have slides for today, and today's text, honestly, is pretty confusing, and there's a lot that we're going to be looking at. So if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one on the floor 
and we'll be in 1 John chapter 5. Um, and if someone has a blue, Lindsay, can you tell me what page that's on just so I can, it's 500 and 593, 593 if you're using a blue Bible. Um, last week we started First um, John 5, but this, this week we're going to be starting a new series in First John chapter 5 where we're talking about these four truths that give us a confident life. And today we're looking at God's testimony, okay, testimony of who Jesus is. Now, before we get into our text in 1 John chapter 5, I just want to ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Like, really think about that for a second. Who do, who do you really believe Jesus to be? Think about what you hear others around you say as well. Who do you hear others say that Jesus is? Maybe think about your coworkers, your family members. You see, the world says a lot about who Jesus is, actually. Some say that he was just a good man. Some say that he was a prophet or a good teacher. This morning in our text, guys, we're going to see who God says that Jesus is. Because who you believe Jesus to be really, really matters. It's more important than anything else going on in your life right now. Who you believe Jesus to be is super important. It's a matter of life and death. And so I don't think there's a better place to go than the text we're looking at this morning. And so, um, because we get to see who God says that Jesus is. So we're going to start in verse 6. I'm going to read our text through, and then, uh, and then we'll see what God has for us. Chapter 5, verse 6, 1 John, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. All right, if you're anything like me, it took you all of seven words to go what the heck am I reading right now? Like, what is this talking about, John? Water, blood, spirit. That word testify is in here like eight different times, okay? And we're going to unpack that, and we're going to explain it in a second. But here's what's happening. God is giving testimony. He's giving witness of who his son is, and he provides three witnesses, okay? And we're going to unpack each one of those. But look at verse 11 and 12. It says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So God is testifying that his Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal begotten Son, is the Messiah, and he is the Savior of the world. And he gives us three things that testify about this, and we're going to unpack each one. But before that, when you think about testify, that word testify, like, the first thing I do is I visualize a courtroom, and you have, you know, a judge and someone who's in the dock, and then you bring in the witnesses, and the witnesses testify, or they give 
evidence of what they've seen. The Greek word for testimony is martis, and it means one who remembers or one who has knowledge of something by reflection and can tell us about it. That's what a witness is, somebody who knows the truth and can share it and can testify. And so God, in this text, gives us three different things that testify of his son and who they are. And they're the water, the blood, and the spirit, okay? We're going to unpack those. Uh, when he says water and blood, here's what a lot of people think, or many have said, and this is wrong, but th- I, th- I thought this maybe was the case when I first read the text, too. I-, I thought, water and blood, what does that have to do with? And remember when Jesus was on the cross, and you have, you know, the two robbers next to him, and to kill them, they broke their legs, but Jesus had already been beaten so much. How did, how did they kill, or to make sure Jesus was dead, they stabbed him in the side with a spear. And water and blood both came out. And so I said, maybe that's significant. But the reality is there's nothing divine about that. Like if any human being was, was crucified and went through all the sufferings that Jesus went through, the same thing would happen to them scientifically. The, the fluids and the blood would come out. So he's not talking about that. Here's what they actually refer to. The water refers to Jesus' own baptism at the start of his ministry. The blood refers to Jesus' crucifixion and the things that happened around when Jesus was crucified. And the Spirit is referring to the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And all these three things have been given to us by God to testify and witness and give evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And so the majority of our time today is going to be looking at all three of those and unpacking how they point to Jesus being the son of God. So that's where we're going. Um, we're going to start with, with the water, the testimony of the water. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'll give you a little context. So God sent forth this prophet named John. We, we, we know him as John the Baptist, who was actually Jesus' cousin. That's just a little fun fact. But God sent him to point others to Jesus. And he was going to make way and make straight the paths of the Lord. And so John, guys, was telling the people and preaching them, preaching and telling them, you need to repent of your sins. And he urged people to be baptized and to look to the one who was going to come one day because baptism was symbolically supposed to represent what we needed God to do inwardly. We needed him to wash us clean from our sins. Okay? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, we see that Jesus, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Now, again, it's interesting because, like I said, baptism is supposed to to represent what we need a God to do in us. He needed to cleanse us from our sins. Well, here's Jesus going to John the Baptist, and we know Jesus had no sin. He's the only one to ever live and have no sin. And I think John is thinking rightly when he says, if one of us needs to be baptized, like, I'm the lesser. I'm the one who's sinful. I'm the one who needs to be cleansed, not you, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, let it be. Look at verse 15. It says, 
Jesus said, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus is saying, even though there's no sin in me, even though I have no sin to repent of, even though I have nothing to be washed clean of because I'm perfect, God requires this of all his people. And I will do all that God requires. And I will do it in order to fulfill all righteousness. Whatever it is that God requires of his people, I will do. You see, Jesus was, yes, fully God, but he was also fully human. And that was the perfection of his life. You and I, in order for us to be at peace with God, to be righteous before God, we need, we need righteousness. To be at peace with God and right standing with God, we need perfection and righteousness. But we don't have that, do we? It's easy to see that there is a lot of sin in my life and there's sin in your life. We're broken. We do things that hurt one another. We do things that hurt ourselves and we do things that are first and foremost against God and that's a big deal. God cannot just let that go because God is just. He has to punish sin. But guys, Christ's entire life was perfect because we needed a sinless substitute, which is why when John saw Jesus, this is recorded in the Gospel of John, and he's with the crowds, and he sees Jesus, he points at him, and he says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We needed a spotless lamb, a sinless substitute. So Matthew 3, look at verse 16. It says, and when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This was a divine moment. The people heard it. The disciples there heard it. They saw or the heavens opened up, and they heard God's voice say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descended down, not as a dove, but like a dove would descend. I don't know what that means, but that's what happened. This was a divine moment. And what I want us to see, guys, is that Jesus didn't somewhat obey God's law. He obeyed it absolutely perfectly. In fact, Jesus said himself, my food is to, to do the will of God. He came to fulfill the law perfectly. His entire life was perfectly obedient to the Father, which should just honestly blow our minds. Because none of us have been completely perfect for a second before God. In 2008, there's this, there's this movie starring Jeremy Renner. That's the guy who plays Hawkeye, maybe. And uh, it's called The Hurt Locker. And pretty intense movie. It uh, won movie of the year, best picture, actually. And Renner plays this soldier in that movie. And, and the reason the movie's super intense is because he's got to disarm and disable these bombs in these, you know, really intense combat situations. And there's all these little specific steps that he has to follow. Like, don't touch that certain wire with this other one. Don't move the bomb in the right way. Make sure you dig right at a certain spot. And he's listening to someone as they're telling him what to do. And any faulty move there would have devastating results. 
when Jesus came, he had to obey the Father perfectly for us in order to be made righteous with God because we needed a perfect life. And so part of Jesus getting baptized gives witness to that. When Jesus submitted to baptism, he was following his father's specific instructions. And so that's the testimony of water, how it points to Jesus being the son of God, the savior of the world. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, sweet. Okay. The next testimony we have is of the blood, okay? It's like the blood's going to take the stand now, and he's going to talk about Jesus and who he is. Um, again, like I said, this refers to Jesus's, his death and the things that were happening. And so the place I want you to turn now is to the end of Matthew. It's also kind of neat how the baptism and his death, like this bracket Jesus's whole ministry. Because Jesus's ministry began right before he was baptized. But go to the end of Matthew. We'll start in chapter 27. And I'm just going to start reading in, in verse 45. What's happening here, Jesus is, is hanging on the cross, and he has uh, the robbers on either side of him. And here we go, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Now the sixth hour, guys, is not 6 p.m. Um, in the Jewish day, or Jewish time, the day began at sunrise, and so the sixth hour was noon. It was noon. And so from noon until 3 p.m., there was absolute darkness, and this was... A divine moment. And Jesus knew what was happening here. Supernatural darkness. So it was a miracle. So it was God the Father intervening. And Jesus knew it. Look at verse 46. It says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. Which translates that, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he understood what this divine darkness was symbolizing. That God the Father had forsaken him. That at the cross, God was giving testimony to his son as a sin-bearing sacrifice by turning out the lights. Creating this supernatural darkness at noon. If you skip down to verse 51, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay? This temple, they had, uh, the Jewish temple had this big curtain that kept people out of the Holy of Holies, which in the Old Testament is where the presence of God would dwell. And no man could go into there except the high priest once a year to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But something happened here where the curtain com uh, tore completely in half from top to bottom, and no man could do this. This curtain was heavy, it was thick. And what it symbolized was that now because of Jesus Christ, as our sinless sin bearer, we can now have access to the Father. We can now be made right with God because Jesus' sacrifice, and well, three days later, his resurrection, is enough. A divine miracle. We no longer need priest because Jesus is the high priest. We no longer need sacrifices because Jesus was the ultimate spotless lamb. That's what this is representing. Look at the back half of 51. It says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. God literally shook the entire planet. 
Verse 52, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. It's incredible. Incredible, supernatural darkness. The veil's ripped. You have the whole earth shaking and many of the saints are resurrected. They go into the city and they were seen by many. And then look at verse 54. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, what? Truly, this was the son of God. Like there's, there's no other conclusion. Jesus had to be and is the son of God. And here is God's testimony at the cross. This is the testimony of the blood. And it screams that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven. He is the only way to be cleansed of your sins. And he took the punishment we deserved. In Louisiana, where, where I grew up, there's lots of snakes. I um, have lived in Cincinnati for a year now. And I've, I haven't seen one snake here except at the zoo. So I have seen one snake. But I wasn't planning on saying that either. I just thought I would be a liar if I said it. We saw snakes at the zoo. Not in the wild, okay? Um, now, it's not that big of a deal in Louisiana because there's only four types of poisonous ones. There's the, the cottonmouth, copperhead, diamondback rattler, and a coral snake. And I know all this because when I was a kid, I was obsessed with snakes. Like, I would go to the library and I would get books on snakes and roller coasters, okay? <laughs> um, suppose you were to get bit by one of these, these snakes. I actually had a friend in high school get bit by a, a moccasin. He tried to stab it with a pocket knife. And it did bite him, and his arms swole up huge. Okay, if you get bit, bit by one of these, like my friend Fletcher did, the best thing you can do is go to the hospital. Because at the hospital, they have the antivenom, or the, or the snake serum. And when they put that into you, it heals you, okay? <laughs> That's what happened to Fletcher. Fletcher, okay, Fletcher could have tried Listerine. He could have tried garlic and some Listerine. He could have tried some Windex. You've seen my big fat Greek wedding. He could try, <laughs> he could try uh, what else could he try? I don't know. He could try anything else. But listen, the only thing that was actually going to heal him, he needed this snake serum. There are lots of ways that we can try to erase the sin that is in our life. You can try it through religion. You can try it through hanging around the right types of people, reading the right types of books, spending lots of time reading the Bible, praying a lot. Maybe you're realizing right now that's actually how I've tried to justify myself before God. Maybe you've tried it through trying to be a good person. Here's what God's word says. For by the works of the law, no man will be justified in the sight of God. There is nothing that you and I can do to make us right with God. You want your sins forgiven, you need the son. It is that simple. You need the substitute, and you receive the son through faith. That's what the blood testifies. And here's the last one, is the spirit, okay? There's so much that could be said about the Holy Spirit and how it testifies to Jesus being the son of God. I just want to point out a few things. First, notice back in 1 John 5, you can flip there. Um, 
in verse 8, the spirit is now mentioned before the water and the blood. When the first time it was actually mentioned last. But I think it's because it's the spirit it's the one who testifies to us through the water and the blood. One of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth. Right here, John says, the spirit is truth. Jesus said in John 15, but when the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The reality is, guys, is that any divine revelation that we have about God and who he is is because the spirit has revealed it to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that the, the carnal man cannot understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Even our salvation. Ephesians 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, he's the one who made us alive. His spirit quickened us. 2 Corinthians 4 is a great place to see this. That we were, our eyes were veiled by the God of this age. And it wasn't until the Spirit opened our eyes to see our brokenness and who we are apart from Jesus and what Jesus has done to bridge the gap. That is a work of the Spirit. He reveals truth to us. Pastor James Merritt, when he was addressing the role of the Spirit, he says this, that the witness of the Spirit of God is God's witness to us, in us and through us. Just as the arrow of a compass always points towards the north, the Spirit of God always points to Jesus. Jesus summarized the Spirit's work in John 16. He says, he will glorify me. Even when Jesus began his ministry, he was led, right after he was baptized, he was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. And the other thing that I want to note about the Spirit's role in testifying to who Jesus is, is yes, the Bible was written by human beings, by, by man, by men. I think there's 40 different authors. But it was the Spirit of God who gave them what to write. You can read that in 1 Peter 1. Peter talks about how, how the Spirit indicated to them what to write. And it wasn't necessarily just for their benefit back then, but it was for ours now so that we could see. Everything in the Old Testament was written to point to Jesus, this sinless Savior who would come one day to make us right with God. And a great example of that is Psalm 22. Um, you don't need to turn there. You can if you want. But this is, this is written a thousand years before Jesus stepped foot on earth, before he was born of the Virgin Mary. A thousand years, and it describes him, um, his crucifixion. And we have copies of this too. We have copies of this when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls that date back 200 years to before when Jesus was on earth. This is incredible. And look what they describe. Verse 1 it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Verse 7 All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. David is writing this. But do you remember what happened at, at the cross? When Jesus is being crucified, they start mocking him. And they say, if you really are the son of God, 
Save yourself. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Verse 16, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. Remember, Jesus' legs weren't broken. That was a prophecy. But the two guys next to him were. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Guys, this is clearly, clearly describing when Jesus was crucified. There's no way around it. He talks about his hands and feet being pierced. Guess what? Crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. It was invented by the Assyrians, they say, and perfected by the Romans. But at this time, the Assyrians hadn't even rose to power. Truly incredible. So go back and look at Psalm 22 later. Another one to just, if you want to go back and look at more prophets, Isaiah 53 is great. But now let's look back in our, our text in 1 John. And we'll look at verse 7. It says, for there are three that testify. We just talked about each of them. The spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So here you have it, guys. God has given us three witnesses that all point to the truth that Jesus is the son of God. And that eternal life is found in him and in him alone. And they all agree. How incredible is it, Marcel, that, that the gospel is not just based on human testimony? Like, God doesn't owe us this. It can be easy for us to think that God owes us something, but he doesn't. He doesn't owe us anything. As I was reading this text, at first, I was not very excited about teaching this text. But as I started looking into it more, just, the word of God is incredible. It's incredible. Look at verse 9. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has born or given us concerning his son. See, John's doing a lesser to greater argument here. This isn't just from the testimony of man, he says. Like, it's one thing to believe man's testimony, but now we have God's testimony. And I want to explain the importance of having three testimonies here. In Old Testament law, you can read this in Deuteronomy 19. If you were going to bring a charge against someone, you needed two or three witnesses. We read that in the New Testament in Matthew 18. If you have a conflict with a brother, Jesus says you bring two or three witnesses. Then in the pastoral epistles, when Paul is instructing Timothy about elders, if you bring a charge against an elder, he says have two or three witnesses. You got to make sure their, their stories line up. And they're telling the truth. That's what a witness does. Are they all in agreement? Are they all saying the same thing? So how cool is this? God doesn't have to bring us any. Like I said, he doesn't owe us this, but he gives us three testimonies about who Jesus is. And they all agree. And they all point to him being the Messiah. If we take man's word at three, how much more should we take God's? He's given us three witnesses. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. What does that mean, has the testimony in himself? It means to hold on to. He has a lifelong grip on Jesus Christ. The Christian has a lifelong hold of eternal life. He will never let go of the truth of eternal life by faith alone in the Son alone. And then John says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar 
because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. To not believe God is to reject God. It is offensive to God. It is opposition to him to his face. If you reject this testimony, you cannot be at peace with God. These aren't my words, guys. The Bible is clear. But remember, why did he give us this testimony in the first place? What's the whole issue here? Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. It's eternal life. And this life is in his son. If it doesn't matter in a thousand years from now, we shouldn't wrap our lives around it. What are you wrapping your life around that doesn't have eternal significance? As Jesus is king, if he really is who he says he is, it matters so, so much. Some things in the Bible, guys, are really hard to understand. But there's other things that are pretty simple and clear. And verse 12 couldn't be any clearer. John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. It doesn't matter what we think or what we feel about who God is. He's the judge. He's the one who has the authority. He's the one who can forgive sins. We don't get to say how we can justify ourselves before God. Eternal life is in the Son and in Him alone. Jesus' own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It's that simple. If you have a map, it helps to guide you. If you have a fever, you feel hot, right? If you're thirsty, you need a drink. If you have a headache, you should probably take some, some Tylenol. If you want eternal life with the Father, you need his son. You need Jesus. And to have here, guys, implies faith. One of my favorite verses that explain how we receive Christ is Ephesians 2.8. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God, the free gift of God, not a result of works so that no man should boast. We have nothing to boast in but Christ. He has done it all. Jesus himself said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's that simple. And I want to just end our time with what John said about Jesus in his gospel. In verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, To anyone, to all who would receive him, to receive Jesus through faith. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, to be at peace with God, have eternal life, be saved from your sins. The Spirit comes to live in you. You have this hope. So maybe this is the first time that has made sense to you today. And the Spirit is revealing that to you.
I encourage you, do not take that lightly. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And if you do have this hope, that maybe you realize that there's things that you're wanting to trade it for right now. Continue to remind yourself of the gospel. That there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That when God looks at you now, he declares you holy and blameless because of what Christ has done. Not because of anything that you've done. You cannot lose it. They hold to it. So remember it with me this morning as we worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for giving us these witnesses that point to Jesus being the Savior of the world, our true and only hope. You didn't have to do that. You didn't owe us that. All we really deserve from you was punishment. But you're loving and you're a gracious God. So I pray, Lord, that this morning we would reflect on that, that we would know you more, that you would continue, Lord, by your spirit to reveal more and more about who you are to us, and that we would think less about ourselves, and that we would love like you love, not so that we can earn your favor, Lord, but because we have your favor. not so that we could be made righteous, Lord, but because you have made us righteous in Christ. Lord, I pray that Mercy Hill Church will be a light in this city, in this city where there are so many who do not know you, who do not have this eternal life. Lord, that we would be spurred on in how Jesus left heaven and came to here so that we could have life. That we would leave here and go out and help others know you and tell them how they can be made right with you. And Lord, you would be glorified. Again, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ames. Lord, that you would use this to spur them on and that they would hold to the promise in your word that the church is going to endure and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Because in the end, Lord, we know you win. We praise you, God, and we thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name.